on Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody, and uh, guys, it's been a pretty crazy day. Uh, you know, I was a little worried about, you know, where the show was headed as we headed to the whole off-season, and look, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We've outlined this to you, um, but a fantastic day. Um, where the numbers were at today, I, I mean, it just, it got me excited because I was a little bit nervous about how we're going to get through this off-season. Uh, maybe a little hat tip to the Cavaliers because things aren't going so well right now. The Indians, maybe you know, maybe you guys a little poor reception about where the future is headed or this season is headed. But uh, great day here for Locked On Browns, and we're just going to continue to keep coming. Um, we tried to get Brent Sobleski on last week, uh, but look, guys, it's you know, in New Jersey, in Ohio, uh, the ridiculous temperatures, fifty degrees to beyond twenty. Brent was a little ill in last week; he's still suffering through it. But kind enough to join us here tonight from Bleacher Report, from the Orange Brown Report. Um, as we always say when we talk with the guys from the OBR, we know who's working, guys. We know who's putting in the effort. Brent Sobleski joining us here tonight. Uh, Brent, it's been about a month or so, but how's everything going? Uh, obviously, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. Well, same to you, sir. Happy holidays to yourself, your family, and everyone out there listening. And I think it's an exciting time. If, if you're a Browns fan, you are in a position you probably don't ever remember because it's never existed. <laughs> and I, I mean that on multiple platforms. You are looking potentially having rookie of the year at quarterback, having just a franchise quarterback, which I'm pretty sure all of us believe Baker Mayfield is going to be based on what we saw this season. Furthermore, as an organization, you are uh, positioned as well as you can possibly be to make a successful run over the next four to five years in the AFC North with teams like the Steelers, like the Ravens, like the Bengals, a little bit of a downturn in certain areas. While your young squad with promising young talent is on the upswing and you are sitting at a point where you're, you are the team everyone wants to talk about this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have the playoffs ongoing, and there's no doubt you'd rather be in the playoffs than not at the moment. But when you look at the conversation that's driving the NFL right now, which is all these coaching hires or interviews that will lead to hires, it comes down to which team is the most ready to win now, which is the, the most preferable from a candidate perspective. And you'll get an almost a unanimous argument in favor of Cleveland because of Mayfield, because of Miles Garrett, because of Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb and that offensive interior, not to mention potentially over $90 million in salary cap space, 11 draft picks, which uh, right now leads the league before compensatory selections are announced and trades start to incur. So there's a lot of exciting things that even if as a true Cleveland fan, you're not excited about what the Indians are doing, and you're definitely not excited about what the Cavs are doing. Everyone in town, and even those around the league, are excited about Cleveland Browns football. Uh, and and this is what we got into last time we talked about it, Brent. It, it was the depth at each positional group. Look, there's still going to be adding to be, you know, be done, but you know the defensive line: Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, you know, Gennard Avery when he's there. Joe Schobert, you know, centerpiece of the linebacker position. You want a middle linebacker who can set everything up and play like Joe plays. The depth in the secondary. Obviously, no doubt about it, number six, Baker Mayfield. Uh, Nick Chubb and, you know, heartbreaking, heartbreaking five-yard loss to take away from a 1,000-yard season for him. Um, But Baker, look, you know, three interceptions are going to fuel him, like I've been mentioning here the last couple episodes. Nick Chubb is never going to forget that run until, you know, next August, and there's live action again for him. The emergence of David Njoku, you know, Rashard Higgins kind of becoming Baker's right-hand man. You know, Jarvis Landry putting up good numbers. Um, was never going to meet the dollar expectation, but I don't know if that was ever going to, you know, when he got the money, Baker Mayfield wasn't here. Once Baker came here, he was never going to give you those, you know, 100 reception seasons because it's just not the way Baker rolls. But the offensive line and a couple changes there, and whether it was a you know a Brashard Perriman and Greg Robinson, just a really really fun ride here. As you know, this team stripped down thirty one guys off the final roster last year. Going into this year, I, I mean, I don't even know if we might not even hit double digits this offseason, Brent. Yeah, I'm looking at it. The the two names you mentioned that I I immediately want to hit on because we have 
and can identify the cornerstone pieces of this franchise, which hasn't always been the case. But when you start mentioning Greg Robinson and Brashard Perryman and the fact that I think all of us discussing this topic would agree that they deserve extensions, how many people could actually believe that would have occurred when they were signed? They were afterthoughts, Jeff. You, we, yep. They were guys that, I, and I said this personally, and I'll eat crow on the air, that I would say that you never want to see Greg Robinson playing left tackle for your team. And we know why. We saw what happened with the Rams. We saw what happened with Detroit. And the fact that John Dorsey saw that potential in both of them, and they became key contributors during that late stretch, says so much not only about those individuals, but the evaluation process and how John Dorsey is leading this team, that it doesn't mean you always have to draft star players. You can find key components off the scrap heap if you're doing your job correctly. And this is what teams like New England has done for what feels like two decades at this point. It's not quite that long, but it shows you what having the right system in place, having the right evaluators in place. Now the next step is having the right coaches in place and you can maximize talent. And considering that they're so well set up from a a financial flexibility standpoint, without really having to make any major huge investments going into the offseason, I think that even makes it more enticing for those during this interview process because they know pretty much what their roster is going to be. Add a few more pieces via the draft, maybe one or two in free agency. And I'll also point out quickly that I wouldn't expect them to be overly uh, aggressive in free agency simply because there's going to be a lot of big contracts coming up. They have to keep in house. But that starts with Robinson, and that starts with Perryman. And they found roles, and they're guys that always had talent. But now that you see them realizing said talent, to me, that that was the biggest surprise of the year and maybe the most enjoyable aspect beyond watching Baker Mayfield play. Well, I mean, whether it was Baker, whether it was Chubb, and it was the younger kids, you know, Jabril Peppers, you know, Njoku and all that. But here were two guys that, I mean, you know, and, and, and a lot of times the term left for dead is you know, kind of used with first-round busts. But, you know, Greg Robinson, and knowing when he did things right, you'd see the uber excitement in his body. And knowing when he committed a penalty, which kind of became his M.O. and his calling card through his first you know, four years in the league, you'd see that, dang it, I'm better than that. I know this. I can't do that anymore. And Bashard Perriman, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, it was like, you know, when you know, hot hands from little giants got the stick em on his gloves, <laughs> put it near me. I'm going to make the play. And, and look, I mean, yes, you maybe have some worries that these guys could move on. But in the same respect, though, these guys look at Baker Mayfield and everything that's going on here, and it's like, well, we kind of get to be the adopted big brother because, I mean, there's a bunch of kids here that are putting it all together, and they really like us, and it's all working together. And it's not going to cost a lot, and whether it's Paramount or Greg Robinson, I always go back to a guy like Darius Hayward Bay, who's drafted extremely high. It didn't work out. But now, here you are at a crossroads. Are you leaving the NFL or are you going to say, you want to know what? I want to put seven, eight, nine, ten years into this league because you know this is it. I mean, after this, I'm you know I'm coaching, I'm doing something else. Do I want to stick in this NFL as long as I can? And now you see these guys and doing what they did. And you know, Kevin Zeitler spoke about it because he was very similar to these guys. I mean, well, not similar, but first round pick. It all worked out for him. And he spoke on just watching these guys come in and scratching like they were rookies. And now all of a sudden it's going to pay off for them. It's just, it's a nice story. And maybe if it made it to the playoffs, it could have been kind of like book worthy. These ragtag young kids, you know, guys who never made it, never will be. A couple of solid guys. But it's a fun, it's so much fun to cover this product as opposed to where we were 365 years ago. Brett trying to put out quality content and putting a shine on a turd. Well, you look at it though, it's it, it speaks to what they're doing. And there's that realization finally, almost like the light bulb went in or went off with it comes to those individual cases and as an organizational point of view. When you both Robinson and uh, Perryman, if we can keep with that those those storylines for a second, m- mentioned how difficult it was for them. Basically, their fall from grace, you know, and and they, Perriman's has stated he was embarrassed 
that he basically went to the Washington Redskins and was cut a couple weeks later. His thought is his career could be done. He either had to do something about it then or have it be over. Now, Robbins is a little different because, and I remember this to this day, I remember going to the Senior Bowl that year. Now, he didn't participate in the Senior Bowl. He was a junior out of Auburn. But there was a legitimate buzz about him as a prospect. That's how excited NFL scouts were about Greg Robinson's physical potential. But it had ne- it never had anything to do with skill set. It was all from a mental aspect. And to his credit, and this is a, a name that Browns fans need to know, and they already do, but at, on a different level, he went and worked personally with LaCharles Bentley. And for anyone that follows line play, going to work with LaCharles is – like being handled, handed the Holy Grail of understanding. It's grad school. It is. It absolutely is. And everyone that comes out of that, out of that, uh, his spot in Arizona, come out far better than when they went in. And what's even more amazing about it is, they don't. It's not like any professional athlete can say, "Hey, LaCharles, I'm signing up, and we're going to start working out." No, 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 no. LaCharles hand picks who he wants to work with. And those are the chosen few, and we've seen him turn careers around. And Greg Robinson's now one of those guys. And for for the long term, it means a lot. I mean, if you don't have to go into the draft saying I need a left tackle in the first round, that com- changes the complexion of everything that you're in your entire approach to the offseason. Even wide receiver, Perriman might not be a number one guy. But he is an X receiver, and Cleveland doesn't necessarily have that guy on the roster other than him. And the the depths improved with Perriman and Higgins and Landry um, and Callaway. So you can go into next season with four to five deep, not having to spend the first round on a wide receiver, and that changes everything. So it gives you the flexibility necessary as an organization to get the best available talent that you can pursue. And it doesn't have to be position-specific. So it comes down to last year it was all about quarterback, and we knew that. Mm-hmm. What is it all about this offseason? And that's and that's what's fun. When you're not picking top three, when you're not top ten, and you're at 17, we can discuss all kind of different possibilities because they have situated themselves so well that you can go towards multiple different directions and still be confident that other positions – are at least competent or can be approved upon later. Well, and that that's the thing there because now it's, you know, fitting out, you know, I'm sorry, picking out what fits you best. Um if you were able to get a defensive tackle in free agency, that's great. Um you know, I, I see maybe one, I don't even know if a splash is going to be made in free agency. Um but it's also going to be different this year with free agency because unlike last year when you had to trade for these guys because they never would have signed with you. This year, I mean, and you see it. I mean, you know, everybody knows what's going on. Um, they see that this division now is now a Baltimore Ravens and and Cleveland Browns division. Um, Pittsburgh, it is just an absolute cluster F bonfire, whatever we want to call it. Uh, Cincinnati, go ahead, guys, tee it up. If you if you're gonna do it, by all means, there may be a parade. There may be a parade in Cleveland once again if Cincinnati goes ahead and hires Hugh. By all means, and I'll tell you what, you want to do GoFundMe's? We could get Hugh a Hyundai to drive to his practices every day in Cincinnati. Go ahead, Cincinnati, give it a shot. Um, guys, we're gonna get to a bunch of other stuff here. We've just scratched the surface here a little bit. You know, a little state of the fairs when we do when we get Brenton Brent in here. Um, we're going to talk some head coach. we got a bunch of great listener questions. Uh, we did mention the Cavaliers. Um, Chris Manning, Chris, if there's nobody more sympathetic to what you're going through covering the Cavaliers for Locked On Cavs, it's me. I get it. I truly understand. But better days. And, you know, NBA can change a lot more quicker than it can in the NFL. But Chris Manning, Chris Manning guys, if you're looking for Cavaliers coverage, Chris doing a fantastic job putting out you a four to five to six show Weekly lineup covering this team and everything they're going through. And he's doing a fantastic job, even though maybe the results are not meeting the effort that Chris is putting in. But locked on caps, Chris Manning. Guys, put it into the rotation. Brent, there's a... The craziest thing about this all is as positive as it ended, you know, Freddie Kitchens with the, uh, Freddie Kitchens with the offense, obviously Greg Williams, you know, they were able to write a ship that should have sank... But there's no guarantees here anywhere. And head coach, and I, I will be honest, I mean, the names we're hearing to this point, 
Not a lot is really getting me so excited and lighting a lamp and so much. But there's this is big. And John Dorsey, when obviously they made the, you know the, the changes, just figured, all right, we're going to move on. We'll hire a head coach at the end of the season. And now it's, you know, the guys in-house are bringing strong resumes. And right now the names, they're not dazzling other than Mike McCarthy. And I'm not a huge fan of that hire if it turns out to be him. But, I mean, the resume does speak for itself when you actually just sit down and break it down. I, I have concerns about McCarthy. I legitimately do. And it has less to do with what ousted him in Green Bay and more with his approach during his final two seasons. And when you look what happened with Aaron Rodgers, it, yes, it does bother me that there was a clash of personalities because, and I've said this on, on, on at the OBR, that – as a coach, you got to be able to eat a little bit of that ego, a little bit of that personality, and be able to acquiesce to your superstar players, especially the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know Aaron Rodgers is a bit off-kilter to a degree. And he's well, very- I mean, let's put it this way. The guy doesn't talk to his own family. So, yeah. I mean, there is that aspect to it. So, I mean, it may be just a mess of personalities. But go on, Brent. So, no, you have that point, and you're absolutely correct. So, But when you add that to certain statistics, when you look at – the Green Bay Packers led the NFL in pass rate on first down, despite having Aaron Jones in your backfield. Leading the NFL in passes outside the numbers. Leading the NFL in throwaways. Seventh lowest play action rate. Nine lowest pre-snap motion rate. These are not things that you do to be successful as a play caller on the offensive side of the ball. And the irony is they're, all those stats I just rattled off are basically the opposite of what Freddie Kitchens did. When he took over as the uh, offensive in a room offensive coordinator, so I that's where I have my primary concerns for Mike McCarthy. Now, if he can come in and hire a good staff and the right people around him, it becomes a little different, and that's something that we have to put a asterisk on because. And the best example you could possibly give is Doug Peterson. I when he was hired a couple years ago, almost universally. He was the most underwhelming hire of the entire cycle. But I remember shortly thereafter, and I tweeted about this, I saw him hire Jim Schwartz. And I saw him hire Frank Reich. And I saw him hire John D. Filippo. And I thought to myself, damn, that's a hell of a coaching staff. And while Peterson blossomed in the role as a head coach, he also had all the right people around him. So while we look at guys like McCarthy or we look at some of the other candidates, whether it be a Jim Caldwell who interviewed today, a Matt Eberfluss who's expected next week, Kitchens promoted, so on and so forth, we can discuss at length what their qualities are as a head coach and what they bring to the team. But the most important aspects of what they do is who they hire and how they fill out that entire staff to make the entire roster successful. So it's, it's a nice starting point. To figure out who your head coach is, it's a, a crucial part of the equation. But it's even more so who that person can hire. And that's why this interview process is so critical. And first of all, John Dorsey, all the credit in the world, he stuck to his guns. The day he fired Hugh Jackson, he knew this was going to be an extensive and thorough search. He knew that he wasn't just going to hand the job to Greg Williams, no matter how successful he was. So anyone that thought otherwise, I apologize. Rain on your parade a little bit. Even with Freddie Kitchens, who surprised damn near everyone around the league, not just going to be handed the position. The right person is going to show up during the interview process. He's going to blow their socks off, and he's going to be able to put together an outstanding staff. When you find that person, that's who you hire. And it doesn't matter who he is. So while we all anticipate who will be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, we have to understand and place it in context for the overall picture. Yeah, and that's just the one thing, though. And for me, you know, and, and some of the other McCarthy, you know, naysayers is, you know, just don't let him come in and interview because he's the fourth guy for your bridge game because you all know each other. Make sure it's the guy, and like you said, make sure it's the guy who wowed the living daylights out of you and just said, and and the thing is, the guy's making this decision, 
I mean, they are far removed from being, and you figure what the core age of the core of this team is, you know, what, 24 to maybe 26 years old. Who's the guy that's going to get them to say, hot damn, let's continue this party? And that's, you know, and anybody who has a Mike McCarthy in looking, you know, maybe the newer head coaches are more in vogue, but that's a little bit where I come with this. I want this to be the guy who just blew every single person away, front office, or even if he just got to say hello to a couple of the players, where everybody just snapped their heads, as opposed to, you know, it's all right, Mike's running late. We know he likes a Miller Lite, so we'll order his beer now. You know, it was funny. I was reading up a little bit on Eberflus and and where he's been. Yep. And Traveled guy. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you know what? And, and 48 years old now, but became a, a D1 defensive coordinator at 29 years old. He's been in multiple systems. He knows guys around the league for those who don't remember he was actually on eric mangini's staff but what i came most impressed about is what to exactly what we're speaking about that he stated he didn't know who if he had a shot to become an assistant coach under mangini and he had to interview for the position and there were there were bigger name collegiate head coaches interviewing for the position i think they at the time they specifically mentioned Jim Heacock, who was Ohio State defensive coordinator at the time. Brian Wilcox, for anyone that follows college football, is one of the best recruiters and uh, defensive coaches in the in the nation. Both those, both of them were up for the job. And Eberflus went in there, and he knocked it out of the park with his interview and had the job before he left. Even though he had never been a linebackers coach in a three-four system like Rob Ryan was employing at the time, he was he was raised on the old Tampa two. That's how impressive he was, and that's where I expect to happen during this process. I, I call it the Mike Tomlin effect, yep. and some 100%. Browns fans may hate that comparison. No, but, but I mean Mike that Tomlin was the thing. Was not he was the a guy Rooney Rule. He was a Rooney Rule interview and just blew every dude in that room away. Exactly. That was supposed to be Russ Grimm's time. Yep. He was yep. supposed to step in and be the head coach, and it, it became so contentious afterwards that Grimm left to join the Arizona Cardinals staff. Yep. But it showed you. That if you keep an open mind and you don't have preconceived notions entering the interview process, that the right person will show himself. You just have to give him an opportunity to do so. So when I hear people complain about interviewing certain candidates, we all have our preferences. There's no argument there. But go through that process and see how it works through all these all of these options. For example, maybe you don't want you maybe you expect an offensive-minded head coach to mold Baker Mayfield. I know I expect that, but it doesn't mean it's a requirement. So if an Eberflus or Brian Flores or one of these top defensive coordinators who are getting a lot of love around the league as top candidates, those are your guys. They're your guys. That's what matters. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to stress it again. Hire the right person, not the right resume. The right resume gets you... Hugh Jackson as signed off by Corn Ferry uh, Talent Agency, and then Jimmy Haslam uh, going gaga over him. Find that person that's going to lead a football team in a young roster. There's there's no other way to go about it. I mean, because that's the key here. It's not like you're filling in for a veteran team that's been established. And I'm not saying you need like a guy to just kind of like sit in you know detention and just make sure everybody's there. But somebody where these guys are going to go and, you know, Brent, we had talked about this. You know, Eric Bianami, obviously no interview to this point. But a guy like that where he can kind of relate a little bit more to the younger guys and they can kind of relate to him. But look, whoever comes in and just wows the living daylights out of you, that's who should run this. You know, Baker, I don't want to say self-sufficient, but you get him a quality offensive coordinator, they'll work together and they'll make it work. You saw this. I mean, they were put in a terrible situation him and Freddie Kitchens. You know, he was Baker as a rookie, and, you know, Freddie, you know, basically this was his coaching future life on the line, and they made it work. So, I mean, that's just going to be fun, and it's, you know, this is going to go out. It's going to be played out the way it goes out, guys, and we'll see how it eventually ends up. But talk I wanted to, to add everyone. one more quick caveat in there, Jeff, when you look at Kitchens and what we're discussing. Now, I know we've discussed this on social media, and I will state – for the record, I believe he's the most logical choice to be named the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Now, that's before we go through this entire interview process and start to hear how things go. But even if he is not the head coach, 
he can still very well be the offensive coordinator. And I know that sounds simplistic, but I think there's a lot of people out there that don't realize that some of these coaches, specifically those on the defensive side of the ball, will value what he brings in the rapport he's already built. It's not a guarantee that if he's not hired as head coach, he's gone. Or if Bruce Bruce Arians isn't hired as head coach, he's gone. That's not the case. He's still under contract. Cleveland has the right to retain him, whomever the next head coach is. So while I would prefer to see him elevated, I do see it as still an option where he would be the offensive coordinator in 2019 and not automatically going to another roster. Well, the thing with him is, I mean, now, I mean, as much as as quick as the buzz has grown, it went from oh he could easily get to you know a, a nice big fat offense coordinator job into the SEC, where if he stays one more year and he is only the offense coordinator here in Cleveland, he could be leaving for a head coaching job in the SEC back down in the area where he grew up from. And you know, we've talked about this. And Pete Smith, you know, why would Freddie be so quick to leave the goose the goose who leaves the golden egg lays the golden eggs? And that's kind of the theory you have here, and, and it does make a ton of sense. And you know, they're working together. Baker's going to put himself higher up on you know the top quarterback in the league, and Freddie Kitchens would only Freddie Kitchens would only enhance his own resume. So there's, I, I do agree with you there. Um, would I give him the gig? Yeah, I, I think right now I, I probably would give him the gig because you look at that defense, and it's four three built. Um, you have the elite pass rusher. You have the middle linebacker. You, you know, hopefully health-wise, have your number one corner. You got a free safety. You got a strong safety. You can find a lot of guys to come in there and run that 4-3 defense. And, you know, maybe, you know, Greg kind of runs his course, and this has always been his deal as a coach. You know, undisciplined, miss a lot of tackles. Maybe, you know, you come in and, you know, another tackle is added. A little more athleticism at the linebacker position where they are better tacklers. And all of a sudden, this D just takes another step up the chain. So, I mean, it works that way, too. We're going to get to one more uh, question I have for Brent before we start getting to some of the listener questions. Um, Brent, uh, pleasant surprises, offense and defense. Offensively, we may have already hit on the guy, though, no? Yeah, you're absolutely right when it comes to Greg Robinson. And and I'm stating that again, um, knowing how I felt about him through this process, not expecting him to even compete for the position to potentially solidify, solidify. We all laughed. I mean, we all we had our LOL tweets when we saw that they signed him. We did. You, you're right. You're absolutely right. So when I state that, I mean it with utmost sincerity. Exactly. How well he's played. Now, is he potentially a long-term answer? Okay, he's 26 years old. Desmond Harrison's 25. So it's not like there's much of a trade-off there. You don't know if he's going to continue on his path, especially if you make an offensive line coaching change. We'll see in that regard. Your approach may differ as well. But just understanding that as someone that reveres Joe Thomas, like guitar players revere Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> going from that level to seeing what Greg Robbins has, has done securing the blind side has been the utmost surprise for me this year of anything else in Cleveland. Because I expected Baker Mayfield to good, be good. I know we talked about it at length. I loved him as a prospect. I expected – Miles Garrett to break through and have 10 sacks this year. Now, these are things based on the way you projected him originally. Well, I loved Greg Robinson when he came into the NFL. He didn't live up to any of those expectations. So now you're seeing it, and it shows that not just him, the entire offensive line, how much continuity and getting the right five on the field is and placing him in a position to succeed because you need all those factors to be as successful as the Browns were because – Offensively, and I'll give uh, credit here to Pro Football Focus, second highest graded offense in the NFL after Freddie Kitchens took over that that scheme, whereas their defense was 28th or 29th. Mm-hmm. So um, the improvement we saw was mainly on that side of the ball, and one of the primary reasons not only was Kitchens calling the plays, but because you had an offensive line you can rely on after Greg Robinson was inserted into the lineup. So that, to me, was the biggest, most exciting surprise this year, literally and figuratively, when it comes to the Cleveland Browns 2018 season. Um, well, the thing is, I think, and Baker, we saw this early in the preseason, um, <clears throat> just like Baker was able to pick up on offensive line deficiencies. And I remember going back to even the Giants one, which was week one. He was able to understand where the hole would be. 
And, you know, look, Greg Robinson, you know, there were still times he was beaten, but Greg was able to get his guy deep back. And I go back to, and this is always one I go to, is the deep touchdown to Landry in the Carolina game. You know, and the edge rusher got around Greg. Greg shoved him back. Baker, you know, stepped up, slide step, bought the time. When you, you know, guys like Baker can make other guys look better, and that's a prime example. Um, but, Brent, here, uh, you pleasantly surprised on the defense this year. On the defense side of the ball, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of talent on that side that you have expectations for, like Jabril Peppers. I know a lot of people made fun of him last year. Not entirely his fault, so we can't lay that much on him. It was terrible. It It, was terrible. But the irony is this, right? I would argue the biggest and best surprise on the defense side of the ball was the guy who replaced him at free safety and Demarius Randall. You move Peppers to his actual position and use him how he should have been used all along. While obtaining a free a free safety, who by the way should get in a pretty significant contract extension this offseason. But not only did Demarius Randall give you that sideline to sideline ability as a free safety to truly patrol the back end of the defense, this is someone who was became part of the heart and soul of the locker room and his personality. And I was talking to Packers fans on on social media earlier this week, and they talked about how. His attitude was one of the reasons he was driven out of Green Bay. Well, the irony is his attitude is exactly why he's perfect in Cleveland at the moment. And the fact you have someone that fiery that has that type of desire on the back end of your on the back end of your defense to go with someone like Baker Mayfield leading your offense just shows you where this team is trending, not only from a physical standpoint but from a mental one as well. And it was truly a joy. And in my opinion, one of the biggest steals of the NFL season, when you were able to trade Deshaun Kaiser, who's a marginal backup quarterback at best, he's still got a long career to go, so I'm not going to write him off, but trading him for a guy that, to me, was a fringe Pro Bowl free safety. Yeah, uh, he was, I mean, all that and then some. And the thing was, it was, you know, here you are after three years, we're going to put you in a position that you're not comfortable with because you've been playing corner for three years stepped up um and the other thing is he walked in from day one and it was like all right you know i realize i'm kind of one of the veterans around here all right put everything on my shoulders i got no problem with it and always backed it up then you go to the tampa game where they were severely handicapped from the secondary uh hey demarius i know you've been playing free safety all season uh we're gonna put calhoun at free safety you got mike evans all day and you know mike evans you know he ate that day but didn't score. Demarius kept him in front of him the entire time. Mike Evans wasn't the reason they lost that game. And that's just, you see that he there's still that chance where if we need you to do this, we can do it. And with any defense, and when you have guys like Calhoun and Peppers, who's getting a little bit deeper now, you know, can do some deeper zone coverage. When you can just put six D-backs on the field and the offense has no idea what any of these six defensive backs are going to do, it just aids to it, and you know, I mean, just aids to being better. There, the, I think the secondary is going to be even much better in year two. Keep a lot of these guys together. Carry even him, who you know, a penalty flag and a troublesome guy at times. He got to a point where they would line him up on like the weak spot, and the guy who didn't like physicality, and Carry was able to make his mark as well. Yeah, well, first of all, if my memory serves me correct, from Hard Knocks, Randall brought a little bit as Hess Hosserone. That's <laughs> toast around or whatever to that secondary. Carey's a little bit different in my opinion because you're right in that he's the bigger, more physical cornerback, and you could see how they would continually match him up against larger X receivers while Denzel Ward would go against, uh, would shadow the shorter, quicker targets either out of the slot or on from the Y position. Um, th- from a financial standpoint, Carey may be a hard sell uh, this offseason because I believe – if he's released, they save around about $5.75 million. So looking at him and Jamie Collins, even though they were productive this year and they had their moments, you can save almost $15 million releasing both. And that, that that's something the NFL teams don't usually overlook. And it says something to me that when you sign Kerry to such an exorbitant contract as you did, well, but you're also begging for people to come to your party at the same well, time. Well, yeah, but <laughs> my point was going to be is yep. they still structured it in such a way where that if they weren't completely blown away this year, they could easily move on. Well, it's it, it's smart and it's math. You know, money up front, and if we got a bail, we got a bail. 
Um, but I, it, it was weird because a lot of people, we've been going through this today, a lot of people have been giving us problems with the, you know, the way the cornerback rotations worked out. There wasn't a lot of times where you had everybody in-house. <clears throat> Denzel missed time. Obviously, Terrence Mitchell missed a bunch of time. EJ Gaines, you saw a little bit of him, and you know then his MO that missed out as well. So it's tough, but I mean, it's not a huge positional need, in my opinion. If you can sign a free agent, that's fine. I mean, there's guys who would fit here. But I, I think if you establish your front seven more, it'll make your back crew look a lot, lot better. Guys, Brent Sobleski here on Locked On Browns. Uh, we're breaking down. You know, we've done some questions here. You know, obviously some of the thoughts I have for Brent. We're going to get into some listener questions here. But the Locked uh, On Sooners, it, uh, got, they do a fantastic job covering Oklahoma. And we're starting to see a big infiltration here, guys, into Brown's Twitter and, you know, talking to Brown's and the podcast. Uh, well, that's what Baker's going to do. Uh, there's some guys down in Oklahoma who would look here good, too. So if we can continue to, you know, keep this relationship going. But the Locked On Sooners podcast, the guys do a great job there. And obviously, for all you Oklahoma listeners who have come this way because of Baker Mayfield, you know, Locked On Sooners. Get it into the rotation if you haven't already because you need it. All right, Brent, we're going to get to some, obviously, you know, some listener questions here. First one is involving pick 17. And first things first, Brent, it seems crazy enough to say pick 17. <laughs> but, um, and for me, you know, it's it's thoughts on, you know, maybe defensive tackles available. But first things first, it seems like whether it's D-tackle or D-end, this is going to run 15 guys in the top 25 between the two positional groups. That that might be gener- or that might be lowballing it yeah, when, right. when it's all said and done, and that's depending on how you view Josh Allen. Which technically he's an edge, but he played linebacker at Kentucky. So you have Jersey an boy. absolutely loaded Jersey defensive boy. line class. And one of the things we haven't stated, which I'm sure you have, but I want to just stress: if Cleveland has one glaring need, one above all others, it is three technique. Thank you. you. It has to be someone between Miles Garrett. And Larry Ogunjobi, who can create havoc in the backfield or collapse the pocket. Trevon Coley is not that player. He's a fine rotational defensive tackle, but your defense will not be complete until you can find that disruptive interior presence. And I'm also going to stress this as well. Larry Ogunjobi is a one technique. Stop trying to make him a three technique. Mm-hmm. You don't need a 350-pounder playing over nose. That's old-school way of thinking. You need a guy that can – blow up the center, and do what Larry does, and he does it very well. So you find that guy between those two principal parts that you're building around. And if you're doing so in this draft, this is the year to do it. Now that you're looking outside the top ten, because we expect Quinn and Williams and we expect Ed Oliver to go top ten, Cleveland Farrell, defensive end, like I said, Josh Allen on the edge as well. These are all top ten talents. You start moving down the list, you can look at a Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame. Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. Again, that's a defensive end. He will likely move inside in sub-packages as three technique. Think what Frank Clark does for the Seattle Seahawks. Christian Wilkins has played base end and at 310 pounds, highly athletic. He's the player, so the people that don't remember Clemson, the 300-pounder who did a split after they won the national championship. Great academian, great locker room guy. So that's someone to keep an eye on during the national championship game. I look at Raquan Davis from Alabama, the other Alabama defensive tackle, Jared Willis from Miami. He's got a bit of a rap sheet off season or off the field you got to pay attention to, but he's from Miami and he's got off the field problems. That sounds perfect for the Browns, right? <laughs> and for Ohio State and fans out there, they saw what Draymond Jones did this season. Now Draymond may not be an every down interior defender, but he is someone that can consistently get in the backfield. Very quick, eel-like, can really slip through uh, gaps, really shoot gaps. So those are the type of guys I'm looking at. And the other one I'll mention, even though technically he was a one technique all year, but could go very high in this process, also has some question marks off the field, is Mississippi State's Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. Anyone who watched the bowl game against Iowa and saw him show up real quick, real early, Six foot four, 310 pounds, built like Chris Jones coming out of there. So these are the type of guys that you – are looking at that are all carrying first-round grades that could immediately address your biggest need. 
Yeah, and there's no way around, and it's it, it's fun to just talk about it. And like normally, you know, you say 17, but then you look at the guys that are available. Tillery is a guy that it's definitely intriguing because he's kind of got like that uh, Steve McClendon ish, where he's quick, but he's big, and he's long, and he can kind of you know definitely you know is quick off the ball. You put that with Larry, it just becomes a really really crazy thought process about those two. And then there's, you know, obviously there's filling parts, maybe another pass rusher. Um, one other question. Um, uh, Emmanuel Agba. The tough part of Emmanuel Agba is it always seems like there's a little bit of a ding. I like the player. I think he's a solid role player. I, I, I've lessened on the fact that he's ever going to be a star here. But the question was based on Emmanuel Agba. You know, can we get inside, outside play with him? We already do, technically, because sure. he start, he's starting out as your base end. And then moving inside the three technique and sub packages. Actually, there were points this year. I saw him at one technique in a couple of sub packages. So you're getting that already. But what's the level of effectiveness? And that's the question you have to make. A year ago, Emmanuel Ogba, when healthy, was one of the premium edge setters in all of football. Yep. He was not that same player this year. Now, I know he's been slowed by injuries for the last couple of seasons. But that you have to factor that in, considering he's going to be coming up for his extension relatively soon. Exactly, and you have it's to make trending a downwards as opposed to trending upwards. Exactly, you want to you want to invest in the future, not invest in what you think he is capable of doing. And if he is trending in the right direction, now you think he could be a bookend to Miles Garrett, and that's not necessarily the case. If you watched this year and the play calling defensively. It was Gennard Avery who was getting most of those opportunities and being successful. Yep. And Ogba was not getting the push, not getting the penetration and, and the pass rush that was expected of him as as a top uh, top of the second round pick. So that's my concern. I haven't seen the growth from him, specifically trying to work half a body against these offensive linemen to really create an advantage for himself. The lack of consistency in pass rush moves and counters are, are aren't there. So when you're looking at that type of talent. You see the potential, as I stated, but you're not seeing the production on a consistent basis, and that's concerning knowing that you have to invest in him soon or move on. And if you move on, now you're at a point where you have to address two-fourths or, you know, a half of the defensive line. Well, I think Emmanuel Ogba, you know, the best thing if you're going to look for him in his future is play out this last year, hopefully come in at 100% healthy, um, and you do see some nice things from Manuel Agba is because he's very active with his hands. He's one guy who understands that if I'm not getting home or I'm not creating pressure, I'll get my hands up. So that usually parlays to a better guy on the inside. Um, You'd have to have bulk, though. I mean, there's course, no doubt. And that's the thing. I mean, and he definitely a little white. But you regard. know what's interesting? I'm going to give you an interesting uh, hypothetical here, Jeff, for a second. If you go with Matt Eberflus as your head coach, right? I'm, again, purely hypothetical. One of the reasons why the Colts were so successful this year on a defensive side of the ball is he converted two career defensive tackles or defensive ends, Danico Autry and Marcus Hunt, into his starting defensive tackles. And they're damn near impossible to block along the interior. So maybe, just maybe, while it's an outside shot, someone with that type of vision could use him in a similar manner. Yes, and I mean, and when he's 100% healthy and he tested this way, he tested as a upper echelon athlete. Um, the only question is, if you were asking him to put on a couple of pounds, you know, how would it affect the injuries? But I do like the fact that he's a, a smart player in the fact, like like I mentioned, that he will put his hands up. He will knock a ball down. Um, we uh, One more here. Uh, I guess we'll put it as the own, you know, UFA of all the unrestricted free agents that are coming up for the Browns this year, which for you is the priority, Brent? If everyone's on the table, um, or you mean for Cleveland specifically, or Cleveland specifically? Yes. Okay, That's so not yeah. not around the league. Okay. If if I'm re-signing someone, I'm looking immediately at Greg Robinson. If I'm looking around the league, and I'm looking at what they need to do, I mentioned Frank Clark earlier, a Cleveland Glenville grad. Someone I probably won't make the market because the Seahawks will consider the franchise tag for him. But he's he is he is what you want Emmanuel Ogba to be. And if you're going to spend a big time contract, that's the guy you spend it on. 
Otherwise, you look at guy at those second tier type of free agents that make sense. Someone like a Shaq Barrett, who could come in as your Sam and replace Jamie Collins. Uh, you're looking at it's a team uh, the Browns had showed interest in him previously, attempting to trade for him. Uh, you know, those are the type of guys I would be looking at simply because I think you can build this defense very quickly by one or two key free agents and adding that defensive tackle in the draft and then continue to put the rest of it around Baker. Yeah, for me, I, I think in-house Greg Robinson is probably the most important key. Um, you know, look, Bashard Perriman, as much as I love what he's done, uh, there are guys, and I kind of call it the gazelle wide receivers, the big, tall guys who can run. There's guys in this draft who can do that. Yes. Uh, you Maybe you have hope for a Ratley or a Derek Willies that they can kind of do and give you what Bashard Perriman did, but Greg Robinson. Uh, for me, and this isn't so much you know, just on biggest need. Look, if a Grady Jarrett becomes available, that's fantastic. <coughs> but um, Dayon Buchanan, highly intelligent player. Um, Arizona basically told him, look, bulk up, you're going to be a linebacker. And then weren't thrilled with the fact that he was bulked up and couldn't give you the defensive back flexibility anymore because he hasn't become a linebacker. But Dayon Buchanan, I think, kind of gives you that type of thing. And the fact that I would love is, look, I mean, if you lose Joe for a week or two, Dayon Buchanan is that intelligent a player where he can set everybody up. But you know, big, fast, will hit, will get dirty, can do some coverage as long as you know, you're manipulating correctly and you're not asking him to go 30 yards down the field, keep him you know 15 yards and coming you know north, you know as opposed to you know, dropping south, which now with the added weight is not one of his biggest things. But Dayon Buchanan is one of those guys that I just think would fit this culture and. You know, he's not old yet, but, I mean, he's just going to come in and just plays with a high football IQ, gives you the total, total effort, and will play down in, down out. Um, uh, hey, Jeff, you know who Dayon Buchanan could be? Who? Who Michael Kendricks was supposed to be. That's that's actually a great call, and, you know, that was, that was an interesting one because, I mean, Kendricks, for what he did here, the brief time we had him here, it was something to get excited about, and he obviously he would have ended up, you know, covering for the fact that you lost, you know, Christian Kirksey. So it, that's a tough one. And no, the Kirksey, fact that he's going to no, he's that's gonna, legitimate because you have we, we talk about Collins being gone likely this offseason. Kirksey's only got one more year before that they can get out from under that contract as well. Well, the thing with Kirksey though is you just really love the guy he is locally. I mean, and you love the fact that here's a guy who's on IR, and he's literally taking his phone and filming Baker Mayfield, you know, you know, t- dealing with the media at his locker. He's in. Uh, he's great in the community. I mean, if anybody's going to take a little extra money that they don't deserve, I'm okay with it being Christian Kirksey. I can't argue with that because you're right. The leadership does factor in. But if you're looking production versus financial um, implications, again, which we know that's how the NFL generally operates. Of course. That's a player in 2020 you're likely moving on from. I mean, look, he may be here in 2019. Uh, he should be here in 2019, obviously the way the financials work out. But might, be, might not be a guy who's guaranteed a starting role. And that's what? it's just weird. I keep bringing this up because you have to uh, – everyone out there has to understand that even though there's 80 to $90 million in cap space, it's going to go away very quickly. And, and I mean very quickly. Because you got Joe Schobert can be extended this offseason. Demarius Randall can be extended this offseason. Richard Higgins, this offseason. Aramid, Greg agents. Robinson. Yeah, I was about to say, not including the free agents. And then yep. on top of it, then next year you enter the first window where you can uh, can negotiate long-term contracts with Miles Garrett, David Njoku, Jabril Peppers. So those big-time contracts are coming, and you have to be ready for it. And that doesn't mean you're trying to scrimp through and not have that money saved now because it will be used relatively shortly. Well, and you didn't even mention Larry Ogunjobi, who's another one who's in that mix. So, I mean, there's, there's everyone wants to look at the cap space. And, guys, it's not Madden. You can never view it as one year because it, most of what you're sustaining this for going four to five, six, seven years is these core guys, and that money's earmarked, and everybody looks at it, oh, it's $90 million, it could be $100 million. Yeah, there's like 70 of it kind of spoken for already, if not more. So, that, you know, so I mean, you guys, you got to look at it 
long window-wise. If you were able to go 7-8-1 this year, and imagine if it was just Freddie and Greg from week one, you would have been at worst into a wildcard position, maybe have even competed for your division. But now if you want to look and, and get selfish here and get spoiled, look at this for a big, big window. That is where it's at. Guys, Brent Sobolewski uh, does fantastic work over at the OBR, as we always say with the RBR friends. We know who's putting in the work. We know who's not. Uh, Brent does fantastic work over at Ble- Bleacher Report, you know, covering the Browns, covering the NFL. Uh, Brent, uh, wh- what do you got coming here in the next kind of month? I mean, are you shifting now out of regular season into free agency draft? What do you got? Well, guys, adhere to the playoffs at first. Um, I do have a, a, a piece I'll be working on, cooking on a little bit tomorrow, which I know you're going to love. We're doing a series for Bleacher Report. Um, me and, and my my colleagues called the next Belichick, which means we're going to profile um, head coaching candidates. And as we go through this interview process, we'll have um, you know uh, pieces to go along with the interviews and the hires and. Jeff, I drew Eric Bieniemy, so <laughs> that will be a Maybe. fun one here in the next few days for me to get my dig into a little bit. So that's kind of the way we're trending now, and then eventually I'll start getting into more draft stuff. Outstanding. Um, so, guys, follow uh, Brent Sobolewski on Twitter. Read all his work over Bleacher Report and the OBR. Uh, guys, the Lockdown Browns Twitter account, we always keep it follow back, um, whether it's Instagram, whether it is Twitter. The Lockdown NFL Net account, guys, that funnels everything through here. Every show, everything fantasy-wise. Well, the Lockdown NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. Everything gets funneled through there. If you guys want to start following some of that stuff here as you get ready for playoff weekend, go ahead and do that. All the information you need will be over there. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, guys, iTunes, rating reviews, always appreciated. And guys, like I said, um, we're, we're going to work our butts off here in January. The response we've already gotten to this point here, um, only through a day and a half by the time me and Brent are recording here, uh, it's been fantastic. I mean, last year, as soon as the season was over, I mean, dropped like a stone into a lake off of a bridge. But look, we're going to, and there's Brent, and there's so many other episodes we're going to You mean like here. a Jackson into the lake? Well, we kept our pants on, Brent. We did that at least. Uh, all right. <laughs> I thought there was an analogy there somewhere. <laughs> it was pretty close. I mean, you know, pants on, stone in the lake, whatever. Either way, it works. I mean, you know, and it just shows that where, and like Brent knows, and I know whether it's Jake Burns or Pete Smith, we all know where this was a year ago, trying to say, okay, it's 0-16, and now we're going to try to get you through the offseason selling you the same damn head coach that just went 1-31. It's different now. It feels different in doing the work. Everybody's got a little more geek to their step and a little more fired up with it. And it's good, guys. It's a blast for all of us who do this and cover this team the way we do. As we always say when we close out, Locked On Browns, LGB on the LOB, guys. We are official in off-season mode. Let's go, Browns.